I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Well, honestly, uh, since talking about the tongue as a muscle last week, it's I'm pretty tired because I've been working it out, you know, doing my tongue push-ups and curls and all those things. But other than a tired tongue, I'm pretty good, Seth. What about you? How's your tongue? (laughs) Well, my tongue is one of the strongest muscles in my body relative to its size. So my tongue is pretty good. It doesn't tire quickly. But I'm sure with your tongue ups... You're just bulking up. I don't know if that's how it works. Yeah, especially with all the the HGH and steroids I've been doing with my yeah, tongue too. That'll do so it. So we should probably move. We should <laughs> should probably move on before the the authorities are are sent in my okay. direction. Well, I have a special question for you this week. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to suddenly become the parent of a three year old? Or 14-year-old. Well, I'm just thinking of friends of mine that have taken on foster parenting recently. And and a lot of them are faced with this kind of situation. You know, one day you're just in the house with the family that you have there. And then the next day you've got a new family member. And they could be a baby. They could be a teenager. You know, anywhere in between. I think I'd say a 14-year-old. Just because I I think they would be able to have a more meaningful conversation about what they're going through. Because, like, I don't, I'm not an expert on, like, or anywhere close to it on trauma (laughs) or things like that. That might have someone suddenly become part of another family. (laughs) But I feel like I could at least have some kind of conversation with a 14-year-old, maybe. As opposed to a 3-year-old who still would be affected really significantly, but might have a harder time talking about their feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Which is just an unrealistic expectation to place on a three-year-old. So I'm going to go with a 14-year-old. That was was well thought out and logical. Mine was just like, I feel like I kind of remember being 14. I have like some vague memories about what it was like that maybe would help me like shepherd them through that period a little bit. But I was like, I don't know any, just like you, I don't know anything about being like three. I don't even know like what, like what milestones a child should have hit by three years old. Yeah. Once you get past, once you get past like walking and talking, it's like taking the PSAT is like the next thing that comes to mind as a significant development of as a significant childhood development. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the 14 year old. Okay. I'm not prepared for either of these. I can barely take care of my almost five-year-old dog. <laughs> Same. So. Our dog's three. And it's like like struggling every day to be like, okay, 
Maybe you'll calm down one of these days. <laughs> it doesn't ever happen, just so you know. No. It doesn't. Okay. Well, I'll see what kind of uh what kind of children what their ages are in this passage today, but can I go ahead and read it for us? That would be great. This is Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child, whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It is a real interesting juxtaposition of a couple short stories there. But uh, (laughs) before we get into it too much, why'd you go with the NIV this week? I went with the NIV this week because I think that maybe more than any of the other translations that I consulted, it does a wonderful job in our last few lines, kind of describing the way that Jesus interacts with this with this child. Like, it paints it in a way that's tender and caring and not in a way that seems kind of cold. And I really appreciated that. So I thought, because of the way that it paints Jesus' interaction and just how popular the NIV always is among kind of the entire English-speaking world, Let's let's NIV it this week. But with that, is there anything that stuck out to you? Maybe about the different sections or even the ways that they're, they kind of flow into one another? Which I, I've thought about a little bit. Yeah, I like I said, the striking difference between Jesus predicting his death and then the conversation about welcoming a child in Capernaum. It, it seems almost really disconnected, and maybe there's more of a connection there than I think. But honestly, the two things that stood out to me the most were verse 34, where the disciples are just embarrassed about what <laughs> yeah. they were arguing about. Yeah. And that's just, that's just really funny to me. And then I was kind of startled as I read it about he took a little child as well yes. in verse 36. I was like, where is this Where is this child? Like he was just talking about how he wanted to be alone with his disciples while they were on the way through Galilee to Capernaum. Like, is there, are there children around now? Did he just find one for his like object lesson in this conversation? I don't know what it, what it was, but those were, I mean, those were pretty, those were just kind of funny things to me. Uh, I think though the juxtaposition between the two parts of this passage maybe we can call it that way is it's what's striking me the most say a little more about that if you can well honestly i think the biggest juxtaposition is how the disciples are responding because i expected coming into this passage fresh as we do on our on our show 
that the disciples were going to respond to Jesus's question about what they were arguing about was, oh, well, it was about, you know, what you meant by saying that you're going to die. But instead they were just, just honestly, as I read it, it kind of, it kind of caught me off guard, both because I thought it was funny, but also because I didn't expect it to be the response based on where it came in the scripture. So I think it's really about their focus given the types of things that Jesus is talking about. And maybe it's because it was so unexpected that it was so funny to me. <laughs> I think it's one of the ways that Mark is such a good storyteller, right? It's like, like you would think like, oh yeah, they're probably talking about the, how the, the son of man is going to die. But no, they're arguing about who's the greatest and then they don't even want to admit it. They're just like, and I, I just love the way that the NIV translates it too, but they kept quiet because they were arguing about who's the greatest. Like, what an awkward silence that would be. <laughs> like, oh, what were you talking about? And everybody just sits there, like, except Jesus. I don't know if, if you ever enter a room and people suddenly stop talking. Right. <laughs> like, it, it always makes me think, like, oh, they're talking about me? But they're not. They're Like, here they're talking about who's the, who's the best. Like, it's it would it would be pretty comforting to think that Jesus has some social anxiety, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so interesting that you would say that because I've been thinking about our last episode in Mark when we talked about the Syrophoenician woman. I've been thinking about the way that that passage kind of exposes our Christology or it shows us really what we think about Jesus, right? Kind of how how human is our Jesus or how divine is our Jesus. But I think like at some level, this passage is kind of picking at the same, at those same questions. How human and or how divine is he? And how can we hold those together? Like that's always the challenge, I think. Yeah, does Jesus have social anxiety? What what does he know about what they were talking about? Yeah, I'm just thinking about conversations that I've had where folks aren't willing to consider those kinds of human traits that Jesus may or may not have had because the the like reflexive response is, oh, but Jesus was God. And so Jesus was the perfect human and didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. And it's honestly stories like these where Jesus maybe was frustrated with or kind of picking on his disciples and just like you know what is what is reading it in that way and giving ourselves the freedom to explore those possibilities what new light might that shed on how we're understanding who jesus is and what this story might actually be about when i read this story initially i kind of connected this section with the children and the servants and them arguing like i i think i i maybe brought a lot of jesus divinity into that i was like well he know he knows kind of what they've been talking about he asks this question but he knows like he he's jesus it's interesting for me to think about well like what you know what if he doesn't know how does that change the way we understand this this little section with the ch- with the child if he's not directly addressing like who's the their quarrel about who's the best right who's the greatest 
And that's what I think at the beginning of verse 35, it just this couple of words, but just says, sitting down, Jesus called them and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. But it's just that, that sitting down is really sticking with me in light of this conversation, you know, and again, exploring, is this a sitting down, like kind of plopping down out of exasperation or tiredness or frustration with these disciples who just aren't getting it? Is he sitting down to invite them into a more intimate conversation? I don't know. It almost, it feels like he's sitting down and trying to find a way to like help them finally get it. And he's just looking around the room for yeah. something he can use in this, as an example. And he's like, oh, a baby. It just yeah. like so it just takes takes the baby. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I find this is this is one of the things that I love about the Gospels, especially I would say the uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that they give us the freedom in their narratives to think openly about who Jesus is and what's going on in the story to play with tone and rhythm and pace and all these things to not recount like history as we understand history today, but to communicate something important about someone, someone we call the son of God, someone Jesus calls himself in this passage, the son of man or the human one. I just, I love how that freedom to explore opens up, some new avenues here. Yeah, me too. It's so interesting to think about all the baggage that we bring with us when we read the Bible, which we talk about a lot on on here. But sometimes it's helpful to even just try for a second to leave some of that behind. Like what, you know, what can it be like if I read this and ask totally different questions than I've ever asked before? Like forget the way that I think about Jesus' divinity for one second and just see what, and I'll just emphasize this humanity and see what kind of reading that gets. And then I'll flip that around, right? And I'll I'll play with what it looks like to, to emphasize his divinity. Yeah, the Gospels, and I think especially Mark, because Mark is, is so short and there's so many things happening. Like they give us a lot of room to play and ask these questions. Okay, another question for you. Okay. What do you think it means to welcome a child in Jesus' name? I don't know the answer to this. I was just... I was going to say, is this a question for me, too? Is this a what's the point kind of question, or are we not there yet? I think we're we're moving that way. Okay. Because I've been... I'm I'm interested, too, but... Yeah, yeah, because I've been thinking about... I mean, to me, this that seems like the way that the passage has, has been moving... That somehow arguing about who's the greatest and being the first and the last are linked. And that even welcoming children is somehow connected with all of that. And kind of what it means to be the greatest. But I don't think welcoming children is like, in Jesus' name, is just like the same as I I'd talked about it, like, in my opening, what would you do in this particular situation question? Like, it's not just about getting, the, you know, adopting or fostering a kid. Although I think there's a, maybe one way we can do it. But I think that there might like be additional layers to think about. And I think that those layers might help us 
think about what it means to be a very last and to be a servant. I think one of the core questions that I would need an answer to to be able to answer this is how children were viewed in Jesus's time. I have a sense that folks in first century Palestine didn't necessarily sing along to the song that they believe the children are the future. Uh, I, I And it, this is this is truly presumptive. I could be completely wrong, but it feels more like a you are a child until you are an adult. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's the stage you're in until you are what you're supposed to be. Does that make yeah. sense? Like it, that feels more so like the worldview that children are adults in process or in progress. Not not like we think of it in like oh they're developing they're growing they're learning but like more so a kind of a less than full human type of situation. I'm not really sure. I this again this is might be really speculative. I just don't imagine that children garnered a lot of attention and Jesus says, pay attention to them, care for them. Because when you do, you're paying attention to and caring for me and by extension, God themselves. And so I'm, I, I don't know if, if there's some, some truth to that or not, but I get this sense that there's an openness to an openness here to something that folks around Jesus might not have been as open to. I have a similar kind of hunch as you do that they're not thinking of children as being nearly as important as kind of we think of them. Like we have all these ways that we want to nurture them. Like, like we talked about earlier, we have all these like definite milestones that they're supposed to hit as they grow up. Like, I think that children in the, in the ancient Mediterranean world are as useful as they can be at the time until they're like adults. And that's when they kind of hit their max usefulness, right? When they can like do things on their own and build things and like children are like, you know, little builders, like they help. But they're not, they're not full-fledged you know, farmers yet, or whatever, whatever the job may be at that time. See, my hunch is that, like you were saying, that children aren't nearly as valued in the way that we think about them now. This may be more countercultural than I was thinking about it before this. Whoever welcomes a child then may not carry the same weight that it does now when we think about like oh how wonderful it is that people are foster parents or like adoptive parents or even birth parents and even connecting it to rates of survival of birth and infant and child mortality you know you know sociologists have talked about how our some of our trends in parenting and you know child rearing have developed because children are more likely to survive in a time Mm -hmm. when children aren't as likely to survive you don't need to necessarily worry about things like attachment and development and all those things because it becomes uh, this sounds terrible but like it becomes an investment that's not worthwhile if 
you're likely to not have a child who survives either infancy or even makes it to adulthood. But as medicine and other technologies have developed that make birth safer for some at least and make you know infant mortality rates much lower again for some we begin to have these conversations about you know not if we were going to be able to raise this child to become an adult but how yeah and i think that shift has I honestly think it's neutralized this passage a little bit for that very reason, because I, it just feels to me that 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 connection between Jesus taking a small child who may not have a quote productive life, depending on how things go for them, taking that child who hasn't done anything to make any accomplishments or earn any merit or credit take that child and say if you're welcoming this one you're welcoming me that seems really consistent with a lot of the other groups of people that jesus lifts up and celebrates throughout the gospels too whether it be the poor the sick those who are in prison others who the world tends to cast aside for a lot of reasons yeah especially it sounds like kind of the unfortunate reality of child and infant mortality at the time is that you can put in a lot of resources to to raising a child at this time but that they may they may develop an illness and die and there's no medical treatment and that now like we most people have children and have an, an expectation that they will grow to be adults but at this time there's no expectation that children would ever really be productive. That they may never kind of, quote, pay you back for everything that they gave you or that you gave them. They may, they may never, quote, pay you back, end quote, for everything that you gave to them. Yeah, I'm thinking of Mr. Rogers. It's Always like a good love. choice. Always a good, yeah, that's a good choice. He's a Presbyterian minister too. So we're we're all we're coming around. We're coming full circle. We got the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians. But I'm thinking of Mr. Rogers and how he he never used kids to try and get something from them. Like he he just cared about them. He taught them important life lessons. Like you can't get sucked down the bathroom drain. But also that. That people matter deeply, right? That you're special just the way that you are. And it also strikes me that, by all accounts, Fred Rogers was pretty consistent in his demeanor and his treatment of others. But I think, especially when it came to his insistence on developing this kind of programming for children, he also had to fight to open that door, too. To at least make to carve out that space for that, and that seems like the work of welcoming the children in Jesus's name. To say, I don't want to just make something that will, you know, will just keep their their minds occupied for thirty minutes every day. But I want to I want to do something that is for them and by them and with them. To be meaningful, for them as well. Yeah, it's a different 
sort of level of care and concern, not just to entertain them. It's not like Coco Melon. Isn't that the new kid show that's like real big? Oh, I have no idea. I think it I think is. you're right, though. My nephew's like about one. I think he watches Coco Melon. So anyway, it's not Coco Melon that's like mindless entertainment that sing, just like sings catchy songs, but it's like it's that kids are are active on the show and he's teaching them lessons. Not that long ago, when you're right, when kids and children's programming was not a priority for major networks. Yeah, that seems like Fred Rogers is welcoming little children in Jesus' name. Well, I think it's a good practice to do any time, but now it feels particular to pray for the ability to be a little bit more like Mr. Rogers. Do you think we can do that? Yeah, I think we can do that. We pray with me. I'd love that. Gracious God, you love the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in your sight. You love the little children of the world. Help us to be like Fred Rogers, loving children, advocating for them, and welcoming them in your name. And help us to be like Mr. Rogers for those who cannot advocate for themselves. Through the one who came into this world as a child, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we are headed to the book of Esther, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.